You're listening to a sermon preached at Grace Church of Orange, California. For more info about Grace, please go to www.graceorange.org. And now, join us as we go verse by verse through God's inspired, inerrant, infallible Word. All right, good to be with you on Christmas Eve day and open up God's Word. I want you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. And I got a little post-it here that says, Pastor Mike, bookmarks are in Luke 2, 9 to 11, unless moved by mischievous elves or church mice last night. So if you need a Bible, there's one in the seat in front of you, and bookmark should be in Luke 2, 9 through 11. So today what we're doing is we're looking at part of the Christmas story, and we're going to be looking specifically at Luke chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. And we're going to see in that passage three great pillars of our faith. Uh, The glory of God, the good news, and the great joy. And we're going to see something. This is the main point. That our joy in Christ is a gracious gift from God that keeps giving no matter what is going on. Our joy in Christ is a gracious gift from God that keeps giving no matter what is going on, that God is at work in his people for his glory as well as their good. And we're going to look today at the glory of God. We're going to look at the good news. We are going to spend the most of our time on the great joy. All right, so if you are able, I want you to stand with me. And I'm going to read Luke chapter 2, and I'm going to read actually verses 8 through 20, even though I'm focusing primarily on verses 9 through 11. This is the word of God. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them, but Mary treasured up all these things pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your presence with us. Thank you that we could gather today and celebrate the birth of Christ. Thank you, Lord, that your word always is used in the purpose for which you send it. And I pray, Lord, that Uh, your word would have its way in our hearts, our homes, this church, and that you would be glorified in us and through us. 
We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So glorious good news of great joy. Glorious good news of great joy. Very familiar line at Christmas time. It's not the first time you've ever heard it, most likely. Good news of great joy. But it's easy to know about, but not really know, if you know what I mean. To know the words, but not experience the joy of Christ. Because joy seems elusive, doesn't it? It, it just it seems to vanish and evaporate in thin air. I think one of the reasons is because sometimes what we call joy is really a cheap imitation. It's not real. Joy, not joy. And I think joy is most elusive to us because we misunderstand it. It is often misunderstood, and obviously it's going to be misunderstood in the world. It's going to be misunderstood in secular culture. We live in a time of fake news and fake joy. Uh, Target uh, tried to capture capitalistic joy, and they might have captured you with this, with their 2017 holiday ad campaigns, not one but two, Together's the Joy and Oh Joy. And if you were captured, you went and bought a lot of stuff from them. Ready Whip. Ready Whip even has joy advice for us. Uh, five ways to spread holiday joy this season. And no, none of them were put Ready Whip on your pie. They missed it completely. Uh, they said, uh, yeah, no, they just missed it. Show gratitude, decorate, do good, disconnect to reconnect, and lessen the stress. Not bad things, but not joy. There was a HuffPost article earlier this month, 40 ways to find joy in your everyday life. I got tired, I almost fell asleep reading the 40 ways. It was like, man, could you have just given me five? Um, and, and, and here's what the article said. You know, you need to resolve in the new year to find more joy in your life. Joy is what makes life beautiful. Uh, what gets us through challenges and allows light in to illuminate the shadows. Joy heals our wounds, inspires us to greatness, fills our souls with goodness. Forty simple ways for accessing joy on a daily basis. Not joy. Uh, they were all man-based, self-led, everyday things you would do every day, and you were getting pointed to, you'll find your joy in these things. But joy isn't just misunderstood by the world, it's misunderstood by Christians. Here's what one famous pastor said, the easiest thing of all to lose is your joy. You can lose it with one phone call or email, letter or conversation. You can watch a commercial on TV and lose your joy. I'm reading that thinking, really? You're a pastor? He says it's the easiest thing in the world to lose. And a lot of people, in a lot of circumstances, are conspiring to rob it from you. Now, if you're going around, you know, all worried that everybody's trying to steal your joy, you got problems. <laughs> when God's children, this, is, this, this pastor said this, when God's children aren't filled with joy, it makes God look bad. No! Joy is not something you make happen. We somehow confuse happiness 
or feeling good with joy. Luke chapter 2 verses 9 through 11 tells us the truth. And I want you to see it, that our joy in Christ is a gracious gift from God that keeps on giving no matter what is going on. And I want you to see with me first the glory of God. We've got to start there. Look at verse 9. So here's the scene. Jesus has been born. Uh, the shepherds are out watching their flocks at night up on a hillside. And an angel of God appears to them. And the angel starts talking, but not before we read this. The angel of the Lord appears to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now, glory means weighty. It's something heavy, important, and it refers often to God's visible presence. And here it says that the glory of God shone around them, the visible manifestation of God's magnificence. You see this in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 24, of the glory of the Lord being the magnificence, uh, the manifestation of that glorious presence of God that was resting on Mount Sinai and, and remaining there. And so as a result of this, verse 9, they were filled with great fear. They're afraid. And this is not hypothetical academic fear. This is abject, real, theological fear. They are in Fear of God. This is reverence for God. And the angel says something. But let me just mention that angels and fear are often connected in the Bible. Angel of God shows up, you're afraid. Uh, sometimes you really need to be. Other times you get reassured that you don't need to be. You think about the Garden of Eden and the flaming sword. Afraid. Uh, destroying death angel uh, in the Passover, afraid. Uh, the angel of God uh, going over Sodom and Gomorrah, afraid. This angel, though, says, don't be afraid. Why were they afraid? The fear was because of the glory of God. It was because of the glory of God. And I want to take you all the way back to Ezekiel chapter 10 and 11 in the Old Testament to give us an idea of what was going on and, and why they would be afraid, and why they'd be afraid when the glory of God had shown around them. Ezekiel 10 and 11, it was written before Babylon was destroyed, um, excuse me, that Babylon destroyed Jerusalem in the temple in 586 BC. There's a vision showing that Judah would be exiled. The prophets had warned them repeatedly, you're going to be taken out of the promised land as you blatantly violate God's covenant. Background, Israel's northern kingdom fallen to Assyria in 722 BC, was exiled. The southern kingdom should have taken note, should have repented, and they thought that they were safe because they were in Jerusalem and they had the temple. Jeremiah 7, 1-15 tells us they trusted in the temple and not in God for their safety. They're like, hey, we're good, we got the temple. But the temple was just a building. God is not limited to one place, even if he chooses to make his presence known more in a certain place. And so Ezekiel chapter 10 and 11 show the glory of God leaving the temple and going east to a mountain outside of Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives. God's glory left. 
Judah's sin was so bad, God said, I can no longer be with you or protect you. But as always, God is faithful, and he, in the midst of that judgment, promises to return to his temple and to purify his people. And so Ezekiel 43 gives us a picture, a prophecy, where God's glory is going to return from the east and fill the temple once again. And faithful Jews all through the ages were were looking for God's glory to return. Only problem was, first century Jewish leaders weren't part of that faithful remnant. They hated Jesus, who Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 tells us, is the radiance of God's glory. Who stood on the Mount of Olives, fulfilling Ezekiel's vision. His triumphal entry into Jerusalem before the cross from the east, as Ezekiel predicted that God's glory would return. And here is the glory of God in their midst, and the Jews are trying to destroy him. John 1 tells us, we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. 2 Corinthians 3 and 4 tells us that, that glory shines in the face of Christ. The idea here is that the glory of God returned when Christ appeared. Galatians 4.4, in the fullness of the time, the incarnation, the glory of God present among his people when Christ is born. So the glory of God. Next I want you to see the good news. Look at verse 10. The good news, the angel starts talking and says, fear not. Don't be afraid. Reassurance here. And here is the reason why you shouldn't be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news. The announcement of the gospel. One of Luke's favorite Greek words, euangelizomai, good news. It originates in Isaiah's prophecy of end time salvation in Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 61. And there is a unique connection here. This good news of great joy because a Savior has been born. There's a very unique connection for Luke. And you really need to see it to understand how big this news was for them back then. Luke had just referred to Caesar Augustus in chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. There was an inscription at the ancient Greek city, Prien, that was celebrating Augustus' birth. And here's what it said. The birth date of our God has signaled the beginning of good news for the world. They're talking about an earthly king. They actually called him the Savior. Augustus was worshipped as the Lord's God and Savior. And Luke is making it very clear. The Holy Spirit speaking through Luke is making it very clear. No, Jesus is the only Savior. Jesus. This is the good news. This is the real news. It's the same news that John chapter 3, verse 17 tells us. That God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through him. He is the only Savior. A Savior from Bethlehem to resurrect David's line 
Here's Samuel lamenting for Saul's house. Here's Micah lamenting for David's line. But a day would come to fulfill God's promise. And you go through the centuries and you track it. And through the centuries, sometimes it looked like a dead end. Hopeless. Done. Where's this Messiah? Where's he going to come from? But God is faithful to all his promises. And he brings hope out of the rubble of human sin through deep, dark, depraved valleys with glorious gospel goal in view. God speaks in his word and his intent will not fail. And so everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I just want you to know today that Jesus did not come to start a holiday. He came to die on a cross. Isaiah 52 verse 7 talks about how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Romans 10.15 quotes that. Isaiah 52 was speaking of Christ. Christ's nail-pierced feet brought the good news. And believers today carry it out. In fact, we sing Christmas songs like Go Tell It on the Mountain. You know, get up on a high mountain and preach the gospel. Get on your soapbox and preach the gospel. Tell everyone you know about Jesus. First Timothy 1 verses 15 and 16 says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul says, I'm the first, I'm the foremost, I'm the worst sinner. And he received mercy. He says, I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Jesus is perfectly patient, that, that he is merciful, and that those who believe in him have eternal life. This is the good news, which you need to know. You need to know the truth. Jesus came to save sinners. You need to admit that truth. I'm the worst sinner. If, if you're a Christian, that you should probably think, you know, in, in light of the sins I know about myself, I'm probably the worst one on earth. And you need to believe the truth. Believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. Believe that he died on the cross in your place, paying for your sins. And that payment was sufficient. He died once for all, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. And believe that truth. Know that he was buried and that he rose from the dead on the third day. And that right now he is reigning at the right hand of God. And he is going to return. He has promised. You know, the shepherds, when they got all this news, you know what they did? They rushed to see baby Jesus. They, they told others what they had heard about Jesus. These were the first New Testament evangelists giving out the good news, good news of great joy. So here's the glory of God shining around them. Christ appears, the glory returns, and then you have the good news, and now the great joy. We're gonna spend the, the rest of our time really contemplating this great joy that springs from the glory of God giving the good news which, which gives great joy to his people. The angel said, the second part of verse 10, look at that, it says great joy for all the people. There are two, two words here, great joy. 
The first one, great, is mega. The Greek word is mega. You know that idea of mega. You know, big, large, tall, mighty, important, excellent. The Latin is magnus. You know that term magnum opus. The great work, the greatest work of an artist. You've got mega joy. That signifies God's great work. His preeminent blessings in Christ. And the angel gives the reasons for the mega joy. How you can have mega joy. Why you can have mega joy. Verse 11. Look at verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The birth of the Prince of Peace brings joy to believers. It's happening in the city of David. It's already happened. It's in Bethlehem, the town where David was born. He's the Savior. This is one of only two places in the Gospels where Jesus is referred to as Savior. The other being John 4.42, when the men of Sychar confessed him as the Savior of the world. But in the Psalms and in Isaiah, God is often identified as Savior. Because through Jesus, God saves the lost. He is the Christ, the Greek equivalent of Messiah. He's the anointed one based on the identity of Israel's king, David, the Lord's anointed the chosen representative who foreshadowed Christ, the Messiah, the coming king bringing salvation to God's people. He is the Lord, that means master, but it also signifies the covenant name of God, Yahweh, to use as a title of deity. And what, when did it happen? What, what day did it happen on? Look at verse 11. This day, the angel is showing up to the shepherds on the very day that Jesus was born. Here we are in 2017 celebrating that day. The day that Jesus born, was born altered history, and now all creation waits for the day of the Lord to come. We are living in the time between the birth and return of Christ. It doesn't do for you to say, you know, I'm only going to celebrate the birth of Jesus. I'll think about the, the return later. Uh, that is an insult to thinking people. Uh, he is a servant who came to die, a king to reign, rule for eternity, so we have to celebrate both at Christmas. Christmas foreshadows the culmination of all things. Jesus was born, lived, died, was buried, risen, he's reigning, and he is returning. You've got to give the whole enchilada at Christmas. The Lord's first day, the Lord's birthday, points to the Lord's coming day. The birth of Christ points to the day of the Lord. And it is mega joy that he brings, great joy that he brings, which is why Paul, as he's you know, writing Philippians, the Holy Spirit just has him spill joy all over the page, joy all day long. We looked last week at Zephaniah chapter 3, a very obscure Christmas passage, where God's people were called joyfully sing his praises and were confident in God's saving works and comforted by his joyful presence. That's all because we would in turn delight ourselves in the Lord, as Psalm 34, 7 says. 37.4 says, Philippians 4.4 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. Romans 5.2 tells us, Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Psalm 70 verse 4 says, May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. In Christ. 
Christ who was sent in the likeness of sinful flesh. Romans 1 starts right off the bat telling us that, that God promised beforehand through his prophets in the scriptures concerning his son descended from David according to the flesh. The Messiah, the long-awaited king of Israel, son of David, the one to fulfill all the promises and bring the kingdom of God, the son of God, very God of very God. Romans 9.3 tells us Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. We worship him as Lord born of the Virgin Mary, who existed from before time. Romans 8.3 tells us God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, sinless, incarnate, eternal son of God, savior, Jesus. As Matthew 1.21 tells us, he will save his people from their sins. Good news of great joy. It's no wonder that verse 14, look at verse 14, that that the the multitude of the heavenly host, the uncountable group of of angels would would sing glory to God in the highest, glory to God in heaven, peace on earth, goodwill toward men, referring to God's sovereign good pleasure. Literally, peace toward men on whom God's sovereign pleasure rests. Peace with God is not a reward for you having goodwill toward people. It is a gracious gift to the objects of God's goodwill. It is connected to justification. Romans 5.1, therefore we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. For the rest of our time, I want to just over and over again tell you about this joy. What is this joy? What is this joy? Joy in Christ is elation in God that no heartache can put out and extinguish. And it is related to peace. Isaiah 9, verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's hard for us to grasp this peace especially in times of war. There's a story about World War I that's notable. It's a crisp, clear morning over 100 years ago, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, 1914. Thousands of British and Belgium and French soldiers literally put down their rifles and stepped out of their trenches and spent Christmas mingling with their German enemies along the western front of World War I. It was a rare moment of peace in a war that claimed over 15 million lives. And it was a truce. It began with carol singing from the trenches on Christmas Eve. The Germans would sing a song and the Allied troops would sing one back. In fact, when the Allied troops sang, O come all ye faithful, the Germans joined in singing. Here's two nations both singing at the same time the same song, fighting in the middle of a war. The next morning, the German soldiers climbed out of the trenches, calling out Merry Christmas in English. Allied soldiers came out warily to meet them, and the Germans held up signs that said, You no shoot, we no shoot. (laughs) That should work. Sometimes it didn't in that scene. I heard that some actually got shot. But the troops on many places on the front exchanged gifts with each other, Uh, And this Christmas truce allowed them to finally bury their dead that had been lying uh, for weeks in the no man's land between the trenches. 
But the thing is, it was only ever a truce. It wasn't peace. Hostilities returned, sometimes even the very same day. And a veteran from the 5th Battalion in the Black Watch, Alfred Anderson, said this, I remember the silence. The eerie sound of silence. It was a short peace in a terrible war. But Jesus gives lasting peace and joy that cannot be stolen. There's a lot of people, even professing the name of Christ, that think that people are out to steal their joy and they're always trying to protect themselves and protect their joy and fight for their joy. Fiddlesticks, I say. I have to look that one up. I don't even know what it means. Jesus gives great joy and great peace, both the fruit of the Spirit. They're the conjoined twins of the Christian life, peace being that deep abiding sense of well-being and security because God is faithful, and joy being exuberant gladness in God regardless of circumstance because of who he is and what he has promised. You will be, if you're a Christian, you will be surprised by joy over and over and over again because It finds you, you don't drum it up, you can't make it happen. How do we get that joy? How do we become joyful? A lot of us think it means putting on a happy face, pretending like everything's okay. Remember, our joy in Christ is a gracious gift from God that keeps on giving no matter what is going on. Great joy, mega joy, multiplied joy in spite of any circumstance. You may be weeping and you can still have joy in Christ. Because joy is not a feeling even though you may feel it. Joy is a state of being, it is not a feeling. Joy in Christ is you contemplating, sometimes silently, sometimes loudly, and everything in between, the goodness of Christ. Great joy through Jesus. Psalm 4, verse 7 says, you put gladness in my heart. God gives you the joy. Following Jesus gives you more joy than finding joy in the world finding joy in playing or partying or finding financial success or anything else you you think is going to give you joy and make you happy. Eugene Peterson wrote a book as Kingfishers Catch Fire. And in that, he asks, what exactly is joy? He says this, joy is contentment when you have no earthbound reason to be content. Joy flies in the face of false happiness. Joy is not putting on a good front. Joy is crying and weeping, remembering that you are safe in Christ forever. He talked about the Beatitudes calling us to consider what it means to be blessed. And then he said this, then he dropped this, then he dropped this bomb. We should know this. If we did our homework, we would know this. He says, nobody in the biblical world actually expected to be happy. We spend our lives trying to be happy. Nobody in the biblical world actually expected to be happy. We think we've arrived if if we feel happy. 
Back then, tragedy and heartache defined your life. If you were happy, you'd want to hide it for fear that the, the gods would punish you for acting like one of them. And into that world, God brought his son and with him the, ident- the idea of blessing and joy. Blessing as promised to Abraham and you all the nations will be blessed. Which is an idea that was simultaneously at odds with the ancient tragedies as well as our modern emotional entitlement. Joy. Great shall be your joy. It is so easy for us to confuse happiness and feeling happy with joy, with us feeling good for a while with overriding confidence in God. Don't mistake. Don't make the mistake. Don't keep making the mistake of misunderstanding God's joy. Even in defeat, disappointment, depression, anxiety, fear, Failure to trust God, lack of faith, lack of fruit, seeming loss of faith, feeling unfaithful and unfruitful and unfulfilled, as bad as it gets, joy eclipses pain. That's why Habakkuk 3.18 says, no matter if everything is gone, I will, decision, declaration, There's a determination being made. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. It's like you when your whole life crumbles and you say, I belong to Jesus. He holds me. He chose me. He called me. He converted me. He's changing me. I feel lost and alone. But God is faithful. It gives you perspective. Because seriously, at the end of the day, most things in life aren't usually the way that we see them. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, Hebrews 12 tells us. That same chapter at the very end of that chapter says that Christians ought to offer a sacrifice of praise in response. We read in Luke 15, 17 that there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. We read in Psalm 51 that God restores joy. John Owen wrote this, let us not bring dishonor to the gospel by thinking that faith in it and obedience to it bring only trouble, persecution, and unpopularity and not joy, peace, or assurance. Such thoughts are contrary to the promises of Christ. Here is what Peter wrote to persecuted Christians. 1 Peter 1.8, though you have not yet seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10, they're beaten down as they're building up the wall and they're told the joy of the Lord is your strength. God knows it all. At the birth of Christ, Matthew 2.10, they see the star and they rejoice exceedingly with great joy. Luke 2.10, the angel says, I give you good news of great joy. Let's see if it lasted. Let's see if it played out. We go to Luke 24, verse 52, post-resurrection, and it says that after worshiping Jesus, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. 
The psalmist, Psalm 87, verse 7, says, All my springs of joy are in you. So if all my springs of joy are in God, then they don't originate in me. Just think about that. You can't make yourself joyful. Are you living and serving in joy? Does Christ satisfy you even when you do not see fruit or face tough times? Who or what is the source of your joy? Is it real or is it a cheap imitation that quickly evaporates? Do you love Jesus but you're hating life right now? Or do you love your life more? Just like the song says, turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow faintly dim in the light of his glory and grace. He is the fountain of all our joy. And it is also true. Joy is a hot commodity. Everybody's looking for it. Charles Dickens' well-known Christmas carol, uh, Ebenezer Scrooge, uh, was tormented by ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future, showing him what a Scrooge he'd been due to selfishness and materialism. Sometimes our joy in Christ gets obscured. Let's say you're a Christian, but you don't have joy evident in your heart. Maybe it's because you're haunted by things of the past, present, or even future. How about the past? Maybe you let a conflict go unchecked, unresolved, a bad attitude's just been simmering, and you don't even know how bitter you are. You need to put your big boy pants on and deal with your hard attitude of unforgiveness and resentment before Christmas. Before Christmas. Or maybe in the presence, maybe it's your busyness or your selfishness. Maybe you're so self-absorbed that you don't have time for people or conversations. You don't notice people's needs. You're too worried about your needs. You miss opportunities to bless. Or maybe it's your worry and fear of the future. Last Friday night, I was uh, walking my dog with two of my daughters, and all of a sudden, up in the sky, what do we see but some crazy stuff going on? We hadn't checked the news. We didn't get the news of crazy stuff going on in the sky. And so we're thinking, oh, no, it's a UFO. We're going to be transported. Oh, no, it's an alien invasion. Oh, no. I said, girls, I'm going to walk to the corner. No, Dad, don't go. <laughs> and then I got this news flash. Relax, earthlings. It was the SpaceX launch of the Falcon 9 rocket from Vandenberg Air Force Base carrying Iridium Next Communication Satellites. But some were imagining all sorts of apocalyptic doom. If you're a Christian, your joy has not been stolen. And no one's out to steal your joy. Your joy is secure in Christ. It's made full. John 15, 11 says, These things I spoke to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be made full, complete, accomplished, abounding. John 16, 24, ask and you will receive, so your joy may be made full. John 17, 13, that they may have my joy made full. Uh, Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Your sin might be obscuring your joy, but the joy is there because God gives it. R.C. Sproul said this, many, many Christians fall into the trap of 
projecting this superficial kind of happy face that is really rather offensive to serious human beings. Biblical joy is not superficial, but grounded in a deep and profound reality. A joyful celebration of the bridegroom and the bride from the happiness of the wedding, celebration of Christ's victory. And the more you love Christ, the more you rejoice as his bride, even in pain. Burke Parsons says, look within and you get sad. But we have joy only when we look outside ourselves to Christ. Our joy is because Christ sought us and found us and keeps us. We cannot have joy apart from Christ. Joy isn't the absence of sadness. It is the presence of the Holy Spirit who produces within us and humbles us so that we can take our eyes off ourselves and fix our eyes on Christ with the joy he has produced in us. Charles Spurgeon said, I do not know when I am more perfectly happy than when I am weeping for sin at the foot of the cross. Because joy comes in daily repentance looking to Christ and living for his glory. If you are bearing the shame of yesterday, if you are bearing the anxieties of tomorrow, you will not experience the joy that you have in Christ. We need to be very quick to go to the cross, to seek joy that only Christ gives. Parsons actually said this, trying to find joy apart from Christ is like trying to find daylight without the sun. Our greatest joy in this life is knowing our greatest joy is in the life to come. That day when Revelation 21 tells us Jesus will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death now shall be no more, no mourning, no crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Because joy is God's good gift to his children. He is the source and continuous supply of your joy. The psalmist said in Psalm 16, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forever. Let me ask you as I close, what do you want for Christmas? Don't say it out loud because I'm not getting it for you. <laughs> Unless you're in my family or on staff or in leadership. No, uh, no. What, what do you want for Christmas? A new job? A new toy? Relational harmony? Christmas is a time of great selfishness or great giving. Turkish delight or God's delight? Great disappointment or great joy? A time to consume as much for yourself or rest in the Lord and deny yourself and bless other people? Mark 10.45 tells us the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So if you're sitting here today saying, Christmas is going to make me happy, or I better get the present I want, You need to rearrange your priorities. What if you saw your home as a mission field this week where you could actually serve and invest in others and give sacrificially and reject your entitlement and draw near to Christ who gave everything? What if you saw Christmas as mission, not materialism? Not about getting what you want, but about doing what God wants for the glory of God the good news breeding great joy because joy exists because Jesus, the only Savior, gives it. A glorious good news of great joy because Jesus, the Savior, Christ the Lord, came to save sinners. It's the root and reason for your joy, nothing else. Joy does not exist outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Everything else is fake imitation and a pipe dream if you call it joy. And joy will be elusive to you if you will not believe in the exclusive Savior, Jesus Christ. This Christmas, I invite you to boldly and without reserve give yourself to Christ who transforms your heart and your mind and your celebrations. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we, even in this passage, see your glory and the good news and the great joy you give your people. Thank you that our joy in Christ is a gracious gift from you that keeps on giving no matter what is going on. We acknowledge the glory to be weighty that humbles us, the good news to be powerful that changes us, and and that great joy, so often we misunderstand it. Thank you that joy is given to us in Christ. May we enjoy the joy we already have in Christ and keep running to the cross. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.